it's a matter of when, not if, uh, because the the good guys are always on on are playing catch up. Yeah. Um, the, the hackers of the world are, um, you know, so technically advanced now that they're always ahead of the curve, and we're always playing catch up. They're always coming up with something new, some new techniques. Yeah. Yeah. So. Welcome to the Kindred Podcast, in which we talk to real business owners and professionals about their careers, about how they got started, their learnings today, and about how you can build a career in their same profession. Today we are talking to one of Kindred's mentors, Steve Gibson. Steve is an information and cybersecurity specialist who has worked in IT and data management for the past 15 years and over recent years has moved into the field of information security, where there is a growing skills shortage on a global scale. A recent report from Cisco puts the global figure of cybersecurity job openings at 1 million. Demand is expected to rise to 6 million job openings globally by 2019, with a projected shortfall of 1.5 million job openings. There has never been a better time to pursue a career in cybersecurity. Indeed, this podcast was recorded just 12 hours before the NHS was hit by a ransomware attack that disrupted healthcare services not only in the UK, but in nearly 100 countries. In this podcast, Steve talks to us about what cybersecurity means and what the threats are from wizards on the dark web to ransomware viruses, the Internet of Things, infrastructure hacks, and much, much more. Not only that, he talks about how he got into the industry and what qualifications and experience you need in order to build a career in cybersecurity. Welcome, Steve. Good to have you. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I'd love it if you began just um, by introducing yourself a little bit and tell us you know, how you got started having a career in cybersecurity? Um, I was speaking, uh, crikey, about five years ago now to um, an auditor uh, who audits uh, the information security standard. And he was aware that I was consulting in the, the IT and data uh, fields and said I considered looking at information security, uh, specifically auditing uh, those areas because it had strong links to what I was doing already. So I did a bit of investigation, um, did an, an auditing course um, around information security, and then as you get into the into the field and you get to network more, you start to become more specialised and um, look at things because it's such a large field. It's very difficult to be a generalist because. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something, if you're going to do something within this field, uh, you would want to specialise in an area. Yeah. Uh, because people, um, you know, if, if they've got a security concern, uh, they want to know that the area of concern that they want to address is being addressed by a specialist yeah. rather than bring a, yeah. a generalist in it. So um, I started to look primarily at uh, auditing and systems and then I moved into um, cybersecurity specific to the new standard uh, created by the UK government, which is called Cyber Essentials. That tends to be my um, my area of expertise is um, systems and auditing um, with a with a 
a slant towards uh, cyber essentials, which is the cyber security standard that the government, uh, the UK government, has introduced. Let's start with the definition of cybersecurity. Can you explain to us what is cybersecurity? Um, cybersecurity is um, a subset of information security. When we're looking at security, we're looking at uh, protecting uh, the information we have stored on uh, internet-connected devices. Um, with regards to information security, that also covers um, physical security, such as you might have documents or you might have secure devices within a building that you need to protect. So you've got to have a look at things like physical controls, access controls within networks, that type of thing. Um, Whereas cybersecurity is specific to internet-facing uh, technology. So what you're doing there is you're securing devices that are internet-facing from threats from the internet. And I imagine this is a, a field that's, you know, as you said before, it's fairly new, but it must be massively changing all the time. I mean, everything to do with the internet changes quickly all the time, but with security, I mean... Gosh, I don't know how much of it is, you know, chasing your tail and how much of it is just keeping on top of everything that's evolving and growing. Yeah, it is changing all the time. Um, technology, as, as new technology comes out, it's, it's supported by um, software applications. Um, it, just things like the firmware on devices uh, can have security problems with it. Um, you've got uh, the software applications that sit within operating systems. As, as new operating systems come out or as Microsoft or Linux change operating systems, then software needs to change and adapt uh, to meet those changes. Uh, every time there's a change, you have a risk of introducing new vulnerabilities to that software. So you constantly have to keep up with it. The other thing that you have is um, hackers are becoming more sophisticated um, and they are looking um, not just at new software, but just the old legacy software. They're constantly searching for vulnerabilities. Um, you've got antiviruses that um, people install on their devices, but those antivirus software applications are only good for the known viruses. Um, there are what they call zero-day viruses, which are viruses that haven't yet been discovered that are still being used. So even if you've got an antivirus on your computer, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't be breached by um, a zero-day virus. Uh, in fact, there are people out there now who have got the viruses sitting on their computer and they don't even know about it. So those type of things, you can you protect yourself from by... Um, looking at the way that you use your devices, making sure that you have safe usage policies in place, um, making sure that people are aware of um, the, the ways that malicious software can get onto their devices, such as, um, you know, links within emails or mm. banner on a, on a website or, yeah. um, you know, people could, from a social engineering perspective, um, if you're in a sensitive industry, then uh, you might get a phone call from somebody. And I'm sure, you know, I don't know if in, in Australia, I'm sure it's the same as in the UK. You'll get a phone call from somebody that says they're at Microsoft and they're trying to help you debug something on your computer. Um, and all they want to do is uh, get you to uh, install 
what they're going to send you, which puts a malicious piece of software on your device. So there are, there are a whole range of ways that people can um, put something dangerous on devices on your networks. And um, the, the biggest um, way of dealing with that is to educate staff, educate people uh, on how to identify what those channels are and on how best to protect themselves from it so, rather than throwing yeah. lots of money at it. So what what exactly are the real threats? Because, I mean, it all sounds really alarming and I understand that, you know, so, some of the some of the threats are to just disruption of your of your systems and your networks, which is obviously, you know, very inconvenient. But then there's also theft, identity theft, you know, theft of yeah. money and so on. Yeah. But what, what really, how would you define the real threats? And as part of that, who would you say is most you know, at risk of having this sort of thing happen? What should we really real, be worried about? Yeah, the, the real threats out there now are uh, ransomware. Um, that, um, are, are you familiar with ransomware? No. Did give you a quick Sounds, Okay, so ransomware yeah. is where um, you accidentally click on some malicious code. That malicious code then works in the background to encrypt all of um, every file that, it, that you've got access to it will look to encrypt it and then it will throw you a window up and say um, we've now encrypted all of your sensitive documentations all your files uh, if you want access to it pay us 500 pounds or 500 dollars um, and uh, we'll give you a key that will allow you to unlock it wow now, and you've got no way of getting that that information back you will you won't find anyone who'll be able to crack that encryption you will have to pay the money that's ransomware that is a massive massive problem right now for for businesses but the you know people are getting stung with it as well usually because um people are using uh, business laptops and they tend to keep sensitive information on those devices uh, they don't back it up um they get the device encrypted and they have no choice but to pay the ransom oh, so right. that is a that, that's a big threat out there at the moment. Uh, mm. It's growing as well because um, in the in the dark web, which is um, a non Google searchable area of the internet. Yes, I have heard uh, about this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's um, that you can actually access. Um, there are uh, wizards on there, um, as in uh, you know, like you have a software wizard that sh that guides you through the installation of yeah. a piece of software. Yeah. Well, there are wizards uh, on the dark web where you can um, create your own ransomware virus, and it guides you through step by step how to do it. You can say, you know, uh, what you what files it want you want it to attack. You can say how much you want to charge for it. You can say how long the countdown timer is. So you when you activate this ransomware, uh, it usually gives you twenty four hours to pay the ransom. Otherwise, they destroy the key, and you'll never get your files back. So you can say, how long are you going to give them to pay the ransom? Um, and the people who create these wizards on the dark web, all they do is make sure that whatever ransom you get paid, they get a percentage of it. So yeah. they use it as a money-making um, scheme. And you don't need to be technical to be able to create this kind of malicious software. This is so fascinating. That is a, that's massive at the moment. Yeah. Uh, another um, threat out there are, is keyloggers. And a keylogger is something that will uh, install on your device and it will record all the keystrokes that you make. So if you visit something like your um, bank, online banking site yeah. and you 
your username and password, if you've got a keylogger installed on your device, then all of a sudden you've given them your username and password to get into your bank details. Wow. And and how do people get these keyloggers on their devices? Exactly the same reason. They, um, they will click on a malicious link, either in an email, or they'll open a malicious document. It might be... Um, I don't know, you've got the Microsoft suite of, of products that you could open uh, Microsoft Word or Microsoft Excel. Um, those um, applications can have macros within them. Uh, you click on a, a little button within those, uh, that, that, those pieces of software and it will actually install either a, a ransomware or a keylogger on your device. You could click on um, a website, click on a banner on a website and it will come up with a window saying, um, you know, your Java is out of date, do you want to install the update? You click yes thinking it's a genuine Java update and it's not. It's um, some malicious software that they want to Far install. Far out. I mean, you know, I've, yeah, I, I, I never normally sit around thinking about all the threats, but now, um, yeah, it's, it's very real, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you've got, uh, the, the other thing you've got, which is now becoming more and more um popular is denial of service attacks from a business perspective have you heard of those no okay so a denial of service attack uh, because you've got a lot of businesses that are working online uh, and they uh, their, their commerce everything they do is online yeah if their website was to go down then they'd lose a significant amount of money yes so what um, the hackers do is uh, they threaten these businesses with um, taking those, their websites down unless they pay uh, a fee. So it's another form of ransom. Yeah. Um, and if the ransom isn't paid, they will conduct what's called a denial of service attack. Now, the way that works is if you, <laughs> you can have a, your device, a lot of people think of a virus as something that actually harms, either harms their computer or gives people access to their personal information, mm. such as their bank details. But there are also viruses out there that infect computers, uh, and all they do is they make your computer a slave, uh, a botnet, to um, a central controller that basically says to your device on command, I want you to now start sending uh, pings, and a ping is just basically uh, a connection to um, another device and say uh, it's like a, a knock on the door type yeah, of thing. So yeah. in payments terms, it just says, uh, respond to me and let me know that you know that I'm here. Yeah. Uh, it will tell your computer to start pinging a particular um, IP address. Um, in other words, a the URL yeah. of a website. Now, uh, there are millions of these devices internationally. So if you've got a controller that's got access to tens of thousands, if not millions of um, devices, and it decides to tell those devices to ping a particular website, the sheer volume of traffic will take that website down. Yeah. Um, so that is a, a big threat. The denial of service uh, attack is a big threat. And that's going to get worse because we now have emerging uh, what's called the Internet of Things. Are you yes. familiar with that? Yeah, I am, okay. yeah. So we've got the Internet of Things coming um, that we're all going to have um, software embedded in their firmware. Yeah. Um, they're, inter they're Internet-facing, so their firmware cannot be updated uh, online. 
Um, so if you get a hacker who has access to your uh, device, it can update your firmware with some malicious code that makes it part of this uh, botnet yeah. uh, technology, and uh, it serves the denial of service attacks. Yeah. So so that's going to get worse as you get more and more devices uh, added to to the internet to the networks. Yeah. So, so I it's quite, yeah, it's quite quite profound and um, very frightening. So I imagine that that a lot of these you know very large companies, and by large I mean companies with you know, immense resources, as well as governments would be right on this, finding the very best, you know, minds and coders and so on in order to, to constantly develop, I want to call them antidotes, because it feels like this kind of poison that's kind of spreading throughout the cyber world, but you know what I mean. Yes, I do. Um, yeah, you'd be surprised. There are, because cybersecurity... Um, is perceived by a lot of businesses being um, an IT issue. Yeah. And IT tends to be a support service within an organization yeah. um, that has to fight for its budgets and that type of thing. Um, a lot of businesses, whilst they may be aware of these issues, think that they don't have to worry about it unless it happens to them. They tend to not want to throw their money at it. So they have got uh, quite a low, um, sorry, quite a high risk appetite. They, they accept a lot of risk. Yeah. Um, some of them do it knowingly. They sort of like um, decide that um, what, what they've got exposed to the internet, um, they're, they're prepared to deal with the pain if something happens to it. But some people have got a high risk appetite because they just don't really understand the threats well i'm sure there must be people at, at, at higher levels who do understand the threats i mean you know it's it, it's kind of like you know a, a health issue or you know a virus you, you you know if if something happens and suddenly you know there's a disease that's spreading like wildfire we can go into this kind of panic mode and then from then on there's more awareness around it so i mean i guess my concern would be that there will be, as you say, not just increasing incidents, but possibly also some really devastating incidents to really top-level organizations and businesses that will completely change then the landscape of cybersecurity and probably, you know, create a whole new set of jobs <laughs> and roles within organizations. But it might take that kind of disaster for it to be. Because, that, you know, I, I, I have to say I don't know many businesses that have... Um, systems you know in place they don't have a plan to deal with information security and that I mean that's really my next question is you know how how do businesses deal with information security um, a lot of businesses deal with information security based on the fact that they uh, are contractually obliged to do it mm. so um, that they may have legal or contractual requirements to comply with certain um, frameworks, information security frameworks, um, but they don't have any internal resource to deal with it. They may have some technical resource that can deal with specific controls, mm. um, but in terms of um, the holistic side of things, they don't have anybody who can deal with all the different aspects within their businesses. So they would go out to third-party specialists uh, or consultants, uh, or they would even employ their own at that point. Um, it, it depends, again, it's, it's, 
A lot of it is to do with uh, the funds available and the risk appetite of the business in terms of how they decide they want to deal with it. Some of them will try and deal with it uh, on a shoestring yeah. by uh, buy, buying a framework manual and getting their IT <laughs> department <laughs> to work through it and then try and interpret what the requirements are and put it in place themselves. Right. Some people will decide to go to um, a third-party consultant because they don't want to run the risk of getting it wrong. Some people will decide that this is now going to be an ongoing concern for our business. We need to employ our own internal resource. Yeah, yeah. So there are a number of different ways that businesses decide to deal with it. Um, and it will depend on finance. It will depend on uh, commercial requirements. Uh, it will de- it will depend on the risk appetite of the business, and it will depend on the context of their business. So the context being, um, you may have a a printer um, who just deals with uh, generic brochure printing, um, but he's got a requirement to have. Um, an information security framework in order to get onto the roster uh, as a supplier for a particular uh, customer. Um, He may decide that um, he just wants to um, buy a copy of a framework and get his internal resources to tick the boxes. Whereas um, you may, on the other side, have a financial institution that's got um, very, very sensitive information and it decides that um, it's doesn't want to risk getting it wrong, so it employs its own resource. It probably even sets up its own department and may even get in specialists to support that department just to make sure that they've got everything covered. So Um, it it sounds like at the moment there's a lot of compliance around. A a lot of the sensibility seems to be a lot with compliance and less with genuine heart-trembling fear, which is what I'm picking up on when I hear about wizards on the dark web and key loggers and ransom requests, I go straight to, you know, a kind of low-level mild panic. But you're just talking about it as if at the moment the mindset seems to be a lot around their compliance issues, not sort of fear. So that leads me to, you know, this question of what do you do, Steve, when something goes really wrong what if you do have a ransom request who do you who do you ring because i know if i rang and my it support and said you know i've got a keylogger issue or a denial of service attack they'd probably go huh do you know <laughs> who do you ring it's like we need a ghostbusters for cybersecurity. i mean really what, what do you do okay um if you have a breach um in security um you would tend to do things after the fact. You, yeah. You're kind of shutting the door after the horse is bolted. Yeah. Um, and then from there, um, that that would then be a matter of just speaking to specialists or uh, educating your own staff uh, around what you need to do to prevent it happening in future. So it's yeah. a very that's a very reactive environment. And yeah. to, to be fair, that tends to be uh, what is happening right now. Yeah. Um, These types of things have been happening for years, Um, but, you know, there might be thousands of businesses being affected, but when you've got tens of millions of businesses out there, the percentage is, in terms of who's been affected, it appears quite low. So, Um, so what, yeah, 
I, I hear what you're saying. It appears quite low, but there must be a sensible middle ground because on the one hand, you have a very compliance-oriented approach, which is almost yeah. very disconnected from you know, the tangibility of threat. And then at the other extreme, as you said, you have a very reactive approach, which is, oh, oh crap, it's happened. How do we prevent it? There must be a sensible middle ground, a sensible middle ground that takes into account the possibility and develops you know, something you know, an action plan around it. Is it does that exist? Um, it, it does, but it, it's driven out of necessity rather than out of will. So it's not okay. that people want to do it because they're either afraid or that they think it, it, it makes strategic sense. Yes, there are, there are forward-thinking businesses who do think like that, but they tend to be in the minority. It tends to um, be one where... Um, I keep coming back to this risk appetite. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's to do with education and risk appetite in terms yeah. of a business. If if the people at the top um, are aware of top of the business are aware of what's um, the implications of a particular breach are going to be for their business, um, they will err on the side of caution and they will start to put. Um, the necessary controls in place. Right. Um, the, the necessary controls for a business, though, and this is the reason why it's based on risk, is if you, you may have a small business of uh, a few staff that deals with uh, information that is highly sensitive. So let's say, for example, you take a small marketing agency and it's dealing with very sensitive um personal information in terms of where it's going to be marketing. Um, you, you would say that that, industry, that company has got a very high risk, so it should be protecting its information, and it could spend thousands and thousands and thousands on technology um, to protect that information. Yeah. But it's a small business, and commercially it doesn't have that amount of funding yes. in order to invest behind that. Yes. So it has to accept some of the risk by not being able to spend tens of thousands of pounds on technology. Yes. But then what it has to do is look at the softer side of control, which is the policy control where it actually goes through uh, the training of staff, yeah. uh, work practices and things like that to, okay. to ensure the culture of the organization is a safe, a safe culture yeah. rather than a technology-based you know, we will force people to comply because they won't have a choice because the technology won't let them. Yeah. Um, the, the middle ground tends to be between the, the, the softer controls and the technical controls. And, and there's always going to be this balance and the balance in how the swing goes in terms of where the money goes and where the training goes. Uh, again, it, it will fall down to the, the level of awareness of, of the people who are looking to introduce these technical or, or soft controls. Um, and the risk appetite of the business relative to the funding available to, to, to implement the controls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've answered my question. So, I mean, my question was, you know, was really about exactly that. What is the middle ground? And what you're saying is, it, you know, it really depends on, as you say, your risk tolerance and the kind of funding you have to put towards it. And then you have to make some pretty serious choices about, you know, how you're going to address it via staff training and procedural approach or you know with um, super advanced but very expensive technology and compliance so you know there really yes. isn't an easy answer to the question or which I was thinking in my head what would you recommend to a business I, I don't think that's something 
I mean, that would require really looking at the business in question and, and looking at a number of factors. So there really wasn't, isn't really a one-size-fits-all answer to cybersecurity. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, so that brings me to um, specialist fields. You know, this is, um, you know, one thing we do on this podcast is really try to speak to people who are thinking about building a career in whatever, you know, the topic of, of you know, that we're addressing is. And um, I would imagine that in cybersecurity, as you mentioned earlier with yourself, there are lots of different areas and when you're when you're in it you really have to specialize because as you noted if something goes wrong you want an absolute definite expert to be helping you so what are some of the specialist fields that have emerged in information security okay so um, probably the most well-known um, is the is the ethical hacking and penetration testing yes. side of yeah. cybersecurity so this is the technical side now, what ethical hacking is, it, it's like uh, hacking in reverse. So basically, you would employ an ethical hacker to use um, hacking techniques to try and breach your systems and then ultimately pre um, present you with a report that tells you where you have vulnerabilities and where you need to actually tighten up your controls. Mm. So um, the, the penetration testing is, is, is part of the eth ethical hacking process. But the ethical hacking may also be, um, they may also include things like social engineering. Now, I don't know if you've heard of social engineering. Not in this context. Okay, so social engineering would be where uh, they may identify a key person within the business who has access to secure information, and they would target that person in terms of they would do research, they would look through their uh, social media right. uh, to see what type of interest they have, and then they would look to engage with that person on a common ground, form a relationship and form an element of trust in order to get them to do something silly like um, download um, a, a malicious document right, um, for, yep. for, for an event yeah. in an area that they're interested in. And by doing that, uh, they gain access to their device and maybe use things like uh, a key logger to then get um, username and password information to network resources where they can then access um, sensitive information within the business. Fascinating. So, so yeah. the social engineering side of it can be done by an ethical hacking organization. Yeah. The, the issue with that is you need to uh, get full uh, agreement from the business that you're working with to be able to employ those tactics because those tactics are illegal. Yes. Uh, but, but it's by allowing a, um, a genuine uh, ethical hacking uh, organization to do that, you're thoroughly testing your your systems. Yeah, uh, yeah. And not just your technical systems, but your the awareness of your staff and the people who are working mm. within your business. So that's the ethical hacking in terms of a technology side has been around for ages. The social engineering side is now starting to emerge more because people are starting to realize that people in general are the weakest link when it comes to security. You can spend yeah. millions on technology and the, the breach will come from someone who's inadvertently downloaded or clicked on something they shouldn't shouldn't have done. So yeah, uh, social I mean, yeah. engineering is, is a growing area. And it's an interesting one because it works with um, you know the, the, the social side of things, the psychology, 
you know, and, you know, some of the more softer, interesting aspects of human nature. Oh, look, it, um, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, my mind immediately goes to all of the Hollywood movies that we have in store for us about this. I mean, you know, there's so much rich material here for, for intrigue yeah. and, you know, all of that kind of, you know, it, it's a very, it's a very kind of intelligent and complicated form of criminal activity, which is, you know, when you're watching something that's entertaining is always, you know, more intriguing, um, the more intriguing kind of criminal behavior. And unfortunately, you know, it is a very real threat. And my, my logical mind, when, when you're telling me all of these different kinds of specialist fields, I immediately think, you know, how, how do I know what I need? You know, if, if, you know, if I had, you know, um, concerns around my business, or something had happened, in fact, and I wanted to implement some measures, how would I know if I would be better off seeking someone who does social engineering versus ethical hacking? Is there is there a consultant? Is that, in fact, what you could do? Would I just ring you, Steve, and say, Steve, this has happened. What do you recommend? I mean, do you know, how, how do people know what they need? Okay, so people don't know what they need, to, to be fair. Um, the, the type of things when you're looking at an ethical hacking, penetration testing, social engineering test, that type of thing, they tend to be high-risk organizations who inherently, because they understand their industry, yeah. they know they need those type of things yeah. to stay ahead of the game. You, you wouldn't employ a social engineer or an ethical hacker um, if you were, um, I don't know, a, a graphic designer, for example. Mm. Um, whereas you may want to protect yourself um, from um, ransomware uh, because you may have, if you're a graphic designer, you may have all of your designs may be stored electronically and mm. if they suddenly get encrypted and you've lost them all, that could actually take your business down. So, you know, you may want to have controls that are more around making sure that you've got antivirus in place, that you're... Uh, you've got patch management policies, all that type of stuff. So it, that's it's a totally different. It's again, it's there's no one size fits all. It's it's such a diverse area. You need to understand the industry that you're in, yeah, um, in order to decide what you want. Um, we've got th the other areas I've not mentioned are um, risk management. There are you know you get risk management specialists who go into organisations and establish what levels of risk they're running at relative to the risk appetite of the business. You've got business continuity in terms of you know if somebody was to um, take down your systems uh, either through ransomware or um, steal information. Business continuity includes, um, you know, how do you deal with the public relations of um, explaining to the public at large that your business has had a breach and you've lost 100,000 um, records with personal information on it. You know, you, th yeah. there are so many different, different things that you can look at and it's, again, the answer to the question there is, you know, where do you go? How do you know what to do? It depends. Yeah, it depends, yeah. It depends, yeah. Well, getting back to, you know, having a career in cybersecurity, it sounds yeah. to me like, you know, um, the skill set that one would need to be successful in this career is definitely, definitely very much on the technical side. Even if you're doing social engineering, you have to have a certain technical acuity, wouldn't you say? 
I, I would agree. The, yeah. the social engineering side, there, I know social engineers who do, only do social engineering. They don't do uh, the ethical hacking and things like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, they will basically look to engineer their way into a business. Yeah. You know, th- there are social engineers and, and they'll have a tick list that basically says, you know, I've only been able to get into the car park. Have I been able to get through the front door? You know, have I been able to um, get into um, the office environment? Have I been able to attend a meeting? Uh, have I been able to take the minutes of the meeting? And, the, and, and there, are, there are social engineers who've got as far as getting into um, a building, getting into an office environment, being invited to a meeting and volunteering and taking the minutes of a particular meeting. Wow. And, and they, they will actually test um, the security around um, the, the people side of, yeah. of a business. So that's, so, that's, know, that's quite exceptional. Go- yeah. Are, yeah. That sounds yeah, quite, they're, just psychologists. they're yeah. just psychologists. Yeah. But it sounds like aside from that, um, most of the roles, most of the specialist areas are, are highly technical and would require of someone to have technological skills, which leads me to qualifications. What are the qualifications that one might need or that you recommend in order to go into cybersecurity? Yes, you need some form of uh, technical expertise. Um, my background tends to be, well, is in um, networking uh, data and I've, I've done some programming as well. So um, nothing specialised though. Yeah. I've got a technical knowledge, but I'm not um, a network administrator, for example. Um, I'm not a software developer. Mm. Um, that, so I, I have a technical understanding, but I'm not a specialist in those fields. So I wouldn't know, for example, how to configure a firewall. Yeah. Uh, but what I do understand is how those, how that technology interfaces, mm. um, and what what those devices can do, and what the potential vulnerabilities of those devices are. Yeah. So um, the the technical side. If you have a technical background, that would be sufficient. In terms of getting specifically into this field, um, you would need to be looking at um, information security frameworks. Okay. So your research would be around frameworks such as um, a popular one. Um, it's international, but it's more popular in the States, is the NIST, N-I-S-T standard. Mm-hmm. And another one is ISO 27001. Again, mm-hmm. which is an internationally recognised standard. Okay. Those standards touch on all the areas that I've been speaking about. Okay. That would be a good place to start because it gives you a, 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 a holistic view of what information security is all about. Mm-hmm. And because everything is interrelated, whilst you may want to specialise in the fields, you still need to understand all those relationships. So, so the place okay. the place to start from a, a a qualification skills perspective is whilst you may you would be expected to have some form of a technical background, mm. it would be a, a thorough understanding of an information security framework. Okay, would be a place to start. So you would start with that broad understanding, and then would you specialize through your work environment as you go, or are there further qualifications which enable you to specialize? 
Uh, there are further qualifications. Um, there, again, another popular one is uh, the Certified Information Security Systems Professional, uh, CIS, the CIS qualification. Um, that one, again, it, it, that recognises the frameworks I've just mentioned um, and a few others, and it touches on different aspects of information and cyber security. Uh, but in a lot more detail, I think the, the, the average CIS course is about a two-week-long course, okay. uh, and it's quite intensive. And uh, because of the technical content, you would need to have some form of technical expertise, not in terms of being able to configure devices, but at least understanding what those devices are yep. and how they work. Mm -hmm. So the CISP is uh, a, a good qualification for people who are looking at more operational aspects of information yeah. security. Um, uh, you've got yeah. another course which is um, a certificate in information security management, which is it takes it up a level. It makes it more tactical in approach in terms of it's more systems based and it's more geared around people who aren't as technical but um, who have need to manage information security. Yeah. So you've got qualifications in those areas as well. So there are quite a few. Uh, mm. If you search information security qualifications online, these are the type of things that you'll get, get pulled up. And are positions advertised then um, in this area? Is that, mm -hmm. is that how someone would find a role? They had these, this interest, they pursued qualifications, then would they they'd look for you know, a job search online? Or is it, because it's, it's, it sounds like it's something that you know, businesses have different ways of handling it. They have third-party consultants, as you mentioned. They might yeah. have internal departments. So yeah, how, how would you find a role? Um, I think the roles that are being advertised tend to be at the management kind of level. Yeah. So um, they're looking for somebody who um, is, is at least got um, an information security management level qualification. Yeah. Um, I think the best way into it, if you're working your way up, would be to go through a technical side. So working within uh, IT in some place or working within software yeah. uh, or some for other form of technical area within a business and then look to uh, add these additional qualifications to your skill set and work your way up within a business. That tends to be the way businesses are dealing with it now. Rather than employ yeah. somebody straight in a, at that role, they would tend to uh, progress somebody within their organization yeah. and get them qualified yeah. in those areas. Yeah. And in general, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's considering a career in cybersecurity and information security? Any other bits of um, advice? Yeah, I'd say do, do your research. Um, start with the frameworks and, and have a look at what they're covering because... Um, if you want to specialise in, in one particular area, let's say, for example, you want to be an ethical hacker, um, th there are actually, actually ethical hacking qualifications. So you yeah. might be a, a tech uh, who loves to um, mess around with computers. Um, ethical hacking is something that you could – there are businesses that employ ethical hackers as opposed to – your earlier question, which is how do businesses look at information security? Mm. You may be looking at joining an organization that specializes in addressing a particular information security concern. So you could look at a, a 
a career uh, working with one of those organisations rather than working for a business who just wants to secure information security. Yeah. So look look at the look at the frameworks, and those frameworks explain the types of controls that are required to address information security, mm. and look and, and then identify from there. Uh, what sort of field appeals to you? It may be that when you look at that framework, you like the lot. You want to be a system specialist. You want to deal with everything to do with information security. Mm. Um, and you use that framework to, to, to drive you forward. Mm. Or it may be that you want to look at, um, you know, the, the, the antivirus side of thing, the ethical yeah. hacking side of the business. You may want to be looking at physical security or... Yeah. Uh, network and device hardening, you know, yes. intrusion detection systems within network is a really, really big area now. Yes. You know, the, um, so, but do you want to work within a large organization in their network department looking at intrusion detection, or do you want to go and work for an intrusion detection software development business? Yeah. You know, it's, you, you can... Yeah, you really have to know, you have to know your interests and, yeah, and yeah, your goals. Yeah, different approaches that you can take. Yeah. Yeah, and and you also have to know, you know, what what your skill set is, what your what you really, um, you know, are are really good at doing, and what your temperament is in terms of the kind of organization you have to work for. I mean, someone who is going to work with the hardware, physical kind of things is going to be different to someone who's doing, you know, more of the ethical hacking sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, there, it's it's such a broad industry. I would imagine as well that. You'd have to you'd have to think about what kind of ongoing professional development you're going to need to do, depending on which area you choose, because this would going to be a lot of it, certainly in in an in an industry that's changing so quickly. Yes, yeah, the the CPD actually is um, a requirement by a lot of the the certifications that you can get. Um, CPD is a requirement for maintenance of those certifications. So once you actually um, qualify. Uh, you'd be expected to have ongoing CPD. Uh, that, that there are lots of um, webinars for new technology coming out that have CPD accredit- mm. credits associated with them. So you, you know you tend to be given these as well as part of the certification. You're given sources of uh, ongoing development that you'd be expected to keep up to, to date keep, with yeah. and record. Yeah. What do you? What, what What would you say? What's your prediction for the future, Steve? Okay, I, I tend to um, go on the side of a, a lot of people, which is that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when Yeah. in terms of a breach. Yeah. Uh, the, the issue, therefore, then, is what's, what do you have in place yeah. to deal with the, the when? So what is your what is your uh, what are your processes for things like business continuity and business recovery and damage limitation? Um, you know, what sort of controls do you have in place to mitigate yes, uh, yeah. this when it happens? So it's a matter of when, not if. A few months back, uh, there was a report um, about um, information security researchers who looked at um, the rail networks and how the trains are controlled and the fact that they are now linked uh, via networks um, and they identified that uh, a hacker with the right information could actually um, hack into a control of a train and control the train remotely. So there are things like that that are really scary. We've got um, power plants as they connect more and more devices, uh, the Internet of Things, um, to their networks, which is Internet-facing, 
then hackers have the possibility of getting into those devices and causing um, things like power outages. Nuclear power plant-wise, worst case is it's been demonstrated that um, if they access the right controllers, they uh, they could cause a meltdown within a nuclear power plant. Um, there's already been a breach um, of a power plant um, on the continent in Europe that, um, that that was supposedly by um, nation-state hackers who took down the power plant for hours um, just because they were able to get into the control systems of a nuclear power plant. Far out, huh? so, so, yeah. so, that, so there are things that have already happened that have been recognised that infrastructure and the, the the rise of the internet of things is going to cause more mm. more risk more, more vulnerability for, yeah yeah it's um yeah look it's it's scary and fascinating at the same time it's a disturbing combination of fascinating and frightening but um yeah and it makes me think you know look our children should be learning um how to develop these technological skills so that we have you know we can meet the threat with as much information and knowledge and skill as um, you know the people who are doing it obviously have access to or have taught themselves. Anyway, I, I really should end on this note, but I, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about it. No problem, no problem. If you'd like to know more about Steve, check out his mentor profile on kindredmentor.com. His profile is under the word Steve Gibson, all one word. He's available for one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Just click the contact button on Kindred Mentor and be in touch. Thanks, everyone.